welcome to the very first episode of 2022 of the Behind the Geeks show. I am here with uh, Pete Matheson and Scott Riley, and we are sans or missing Richard Tubb today, who is having Wi-Fi issues um, trying while he's out <laughs> traveling, trying to get on. So he may join us in here. He may not. We'll see how we go. Uh, but we are, I hope everybody listening, watching is at an amazing break over the the new year period it's been um a little bit crazy all around the world with all of these lockdowns and snap lockdowns and and whatnot we got locked down here um we had a, an isolation here because my auntie and uncle who were at our house for a couple of days tested positive the day after they left our house and um oh. and i have no clue how i didn't get it considering i shared a sauna with my uncle for 20 minutes sitting <laughs> like this close to him and um <laughs> we've got this this photo of my auntie the one that tested positive with the big tiramisu that we all ate, a big plate of tiramisu with a photo about to lick, like lick the tiramisu <laughs> <laughs> the day before um, she tested positive and was horribly sick for another couple of days afterwards. So we all dodged a bullet out here, but unfortunately we had to um, isolate for the next nearly two weeks after that. But um, hopefully, how did you guys fare over the, the Christmas festive break? Was it madness in your households as well? It was madness in my, my household. I mean, we got so many kids and family and relatives and all that kind of thing. So it was just chaos, absolute chaos. <laughs> How so about you relegated yourself to the office so you could rebuild the oh, office? Unfortunately not. I, I kind of escaped for. Like, I escaped work for three weeks. That, that's the, the the best thing. Like for Christmas for me, I had about three weeks, four weeks to completely switch off and and not do anything apart from kids and things. But yeah, I'm really really uh, excited to be back at work now. Good, Scott. How was the break? Yeah, I was going to say same chaos. It's kids and Lego and Super Mario. So, but yeah, it, uh, it's awesome. It's nice to just get some downtime. But I was saying just before we started streaming, even like right up to the 23rd, we had clients saying, hey, could we just fit something in before Christmas? And I'm like, no, no, we, we finish on the 23rd. We'll be back on the 4th. But what we did then was just kind of backload everything. So this week, is absolutely mental. <laughs> so. You can fit it in by the 24th, but the, the hourly rate or the, the project rate is 10x. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's nice to get away. It's, it's great to be back and great to be back in the swing of things. And, yeah, just nice to be back in the office and just, you know, back with the guys. Although I say back with the guys, our digital marketer managed to catch COVID. Uh, oh, right. I think last week. Um, so she's at home and she's not she's not feeling great at the minute. So I don't really? know if you're watching. Good morning, Kaylee. Um, but yeah, yeah she's yeah, going yeah. through that whole no taste, no smell. Oh, yeah. um, not much Thanks. fun. Not fun. Um, hopefully, oh, yeah, it's, it's going rampant everywhere. Australia is copping yeah. an absolute flogging at the moment. I think we're 90,000 cases yesterday, although there's the metrics are skewed a little bit because of um, the way that they, they track them. But Crazy. Uh, but anyway, this is not the COVID show. This is the MSP show. Yep. So let's not talk about that crazy crap um, because I'm sure it's still going to be the subject and the hot topic of the entire 2022 <laughs> by the look of things. And we don't want to add to that noise out there. So tonight, this morning, whatever it happens to be, we decided to talk about packaging and pricing MSP plans. And, um, and I don't know about you guys, but whenever I talk to any other MSP, it is always the topic that comes up first um, amongst anything else. Even, even more than how do I find new clients is how the heck do I price and package my MSP plans? And, um, and when I had my MSP, I went through probably 70 billion different variations of, of running my MSP pricing. 70, 71 billion of them were probably wrong and broken and, and incorrect and whatever. And I learned a bucket load of things of what to do and what not to do and what works and what doesn't work and uh, what, what is easy to sell and what's hard to sell and what's easy to manage in the back end and what's hard. And, um, and we went through this crazy thing. And so... I hear, I, I see most, 
the most biggest struggle that I see along amongst MSPs out in the world is that whole how do we how do we put together some sort of pricing and packaging because there is no standards and there's no set way to do it and there's there's a few gurus out there that will say you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. The reality is there is no set way. It, it's, there's a million different variables that come into play like marketplace and you and your sales and your maturity of your business and your clients and all sorts of stuff. Uh, that, that work out things. So so today I thought we'd just talk about how we all have approached the, the packaging and pricing um, thing and, and maybe share some lessons, share some wins. Uh, I'm going to do my part nice and easy and, and I'll answer all of my questions by saying just go and read this book if you haven't already. Um, oh, who wrote that book, Nigel? Uh, some, some redheaded idiot. <laughs> After being asked... I don't know. Probably it was two years ago that I wrote it now, but um, it's a book on. If you if you're watching this and you haven't read it, it's a book called Package Price Profit, um, all about helping you understand how to better package and price your MSP offerings. And and I wrote it after being asked the questions about three thousand times and always answering with the same things. And so I ended up going, ah, the easy way to deal with this is just to write it down. I'm going to send people a PDF, and that PDF ended up turning into a book that's um, that's now on Amazon. And um, I just had a look today; it's still sitting at number 63 in the the, the consulting, like in the, the bestseller list um, under the consulting category, which is crazy because it's to me it's like the most unsexy topic and uninteresting topic in the world is MSP pricing. So uh, if you haven't read this book yet, go and read it. That answers all of my questions. I'm going to hand over to you guys to go and talk about how you guys deal with it and what you guys are seeing out there. And I'm going to kick off with you, Scott. Now, you've, you're following a bit of a, a non-traditional approach to how you, you do with your MSP and, um, and you're, you're doing things in slightly different ways. And you've had the, the opportunity to learn from lessons in previous um previous businesses as well that you've taken across to this one. Do you want to give us a bit of a, maybe a, a, an overview of how you guys are currently approaching the managed services pricing model in your business and, and some of the, the things that you, you feel that you're doing right and maybe some of the things that you might feel that you're doing wrong or that you've done wrong in the past as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can do loads on the things that we're doing wrong. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so so in my previous roles, um, I would have been in like quite a large MSP organization where I would have been running the teams and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and one of the things that you know we had was we had a huge team of salespeople and a huge team of pre-sales people who were kind of that barrier between uh, the customer and, and the real technical engineers at the back end who actually know how to configure things. And the sales process was so long and involved and it was generally rock up to a customer and say, Hey, you know, what is it you'd like to achieve? Okay. What are your problems? What are your challenges and real solution selling? Um, and that whole thing took, you know, weeks to turn into a proposal and then turn into some kind of offer for a service. Um, and, you know, that, that whole mentality there is just, for me, it's just wrong. When, especially when we're selling like off-the-shelf solutions, a lot of bundled together off-the-shelf solutions that we can package together. And if you can walk into the customer and go, hey, here are the packages, okay, this is what it looks like. And if, if I stick with the tech tribe idea of kind of good, better, best, which is a really fantastic approach. Um, and if you haven't seen it, go and look in the tech tribe and go and look at the good, better, best MSP plans because it's a really great starter if you're thinking of how to refresh this. But walking in with a packaged answer does a couple of things. It takes down a load of sales barriers, okay? It, because the customer looks at it and says, okay, this is something that you do time and time again. And actually, we're all in this kind of mindset, whether we're buying a mobile phone contract or an internet service at home, there's generally a good, better, best kind of mechanism and we can see if we pay a little bit more we get a little bit more service okay well what's what's in those service plans and the trick is and i'm sure we all know the trick that generally 
people are going to go for better. They're not going to go for the cheapest option, although some will. They're generally not going to go for the most expensive one. And that sweet spot, the Goldilocks zone right there in the middle of better is the one that you're going to sell the most of. So get your best kind of products and services and the things that you want to have in that middle piece. Um, cut it down for the, the middle. And, and if you want the real premium services, I don't know, managed sock and seam services, put those really in the expensive one and make sure that it's paid for. Anyway, sorry, slightly off. Um, I realized from you know that, that experience in the big MSB that packaging things makes a big difference. It takes down those sales barriers. It shows trust. It shows the customers you do this all the time. But also, for you as the MSP, it simplifies a lot of things. The sales documentation, the pricing, the proposal, the turnaround time to get back to a client because you can get back straight away and say, hey, you know, this is the package and you've got 50 users or 100 users. This is how much it's going to cost. You have all that material ready to go. In the delivery process, you are delivering the same things over and over again. So you're not doing these special unicorn customers. You're not doing these special deployments. This customer is getting package A, package B, package C, and we do the same products and the same services every time. That means that your delivery guys have an easier life. Your support team have an easier life. When the ticket comes in and it says, you know, Acme Co have support package B, they know which products and services are included. They also know if the customer is asking for these things that we don't normally get, well, that might be an upsell opportunity for us and we can feed that back to the team. Or we know what's in and out of scope for us to actually help with. Because again, our MSP guys, they're great. The teams are great. The, the tech guys are amazing. But what they will always do is help the customer and go above and beyond as much as possible. And that can often mean that we will miss out on that opportunity to move them up into like the next package along. Um, I make that sound really simple, like we've packaged and everyone's on a package. Um, and that simply isn't true because challenges. Um, getting like a 50 user business to commit to, you know, 50 pounds or 100 pounds per user per month soon adds up to quite a price. And they look at it and they go, ah, this is expensive. I could maybe hire an IT guy for that. And, you know, we have all those arguments say, hey, well, you know, one IT guy doesn't cut it. We've got a team here and it's 24 by 7 and holidays and sickness and you'll never have a problem anyway. Um, but they, they will generally start to question the value of some of those packages. And so I think you still need a mix, especially for those customers who have an IT team in-house who is pretty good. You know, they might have some good skills in-house. You still need a mix that is maybe just having um, user packages, good, better, best, but also just an escalation service. So we've found some success lately in having that escalation service for that savvy IT guy or that IT team that's in the company, right. but they just get stuck from time to time. And what they need is just like someone I can trust. It's co safe IT is, um Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's literally like, I just need help today. I've got an urgent issue or whatever. Or, you know, I want to roll something out and I just don't have the confidence to do Intune, Autopilot, whatever it is, and I just need some advice and guidance from guys who actually know how to do it. And so we've had some great success in saying, hey, here's, here's good, better, best when it comes to end-user support and managed IT. And again, I'll just be really clear, we don't deliver that ourselves in terms of the end-user piece. We outsource that. Um, and then what we have is a set of escalation packages as well that we do deliver personally. So as well as doing our projects and consultancy, those escalation services are really pitched to say, this isn't first and second line support. This is, you're an IT tech or you're an IT team and you're getting stuck with things. 
you need to escalate and get straight to someone who knows what they're on about. So we found some great success in having that blend of escalation service and good, better, best, but trying to stay away from block hours contracts as much as possible. But if I'm honest, that escalation service does end up being a bit of a block hours contract, but having that blend really helps. I will shut up because that's five minutes nonstop <laughs> of Riley. <laughs> Hand the ball over to Pete. There you go. Pete, now you've obviously sold your MSP. And I think you I saw somewhere earlier on that it's nearly, is it 12 months or 24 months since you've sold it now? Two, Two years, years, pretty much. Two years in March, yeah. Time flies like crazy. crazy. Because I think we we started speaking around the time that you sold your MSP. And so so you and, you and I, it's been a long time since we've priced and packaged our own MSP plans. But when you were going through those last stages in your MSP journey, what how did you have your things structured? And what were some of your favorite parts of how you had it structured? And were you like per user, per device, were you a hybrid? And were you doing good, yes, better, best? Or were you we're just a huge fan of the per user device thing? For, sorry, per per user thing for us was that's that's where we went. We were using ConnectWise, and yeah. we were yeah big big fan of using the built-in features that allow you to like sync with on-prem AD and mm. with three six five and just automates a load of your billing. Um, the, the 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 thing we were trying to follow, or thing I was trying to follow over time, was um, uh, Rex C Level Ops. And yep. um, he had his oh, I can't remember. I think it was a, a ConnectWise event we went to. There was this massive like Excel spreadsheet of kind of a beginner MSP, mid-level MSP, like gold kind of tier MSP, whatever it is. And in terms of the pricing packaging, it was like beginner tier, you'd have your like gold, silver, platinum. By the middle tier, you'd be down to two packages. And by your final tier, you'd be like the one package. We were always trying to aim for that just for like want to get to the one package. And actually, I bumped into, um, and there's another IT company I spoke to very recently. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to actually catch up with them after the event. But he was just like, we we do everything's bespoke. Like all of our customers are unique. Everything's bespoke. It's like, that's great, but that's going to really cause you problems as soon as you get a few more than like two or three customers. Because if you and and if, and if you staff, because if you try and have everything bespoke, I mean, the amount of issues we had when we had the gold, silver, platinum, then the next year we're like, well, we've got a slightly different version of our gold, silver, platinum now. So here's the new <laughs> version of the gold, silver, platinum. And then after a while, you get like these 15 different versions. Yeah, yeah. Clients are phoning up and are they on that version? That oh, they're on that version. <laughs> we removed antivirus from them because they didn't need it and. Uh, it just gets so confusing. So, absolutely, like stick at least co- to begin with. The gold, silver, platinum works. The good, better, best thing works. Um, but certainly for us, it was just trying to get down to that one thing. Um, I always relate it to something like Netflix, or mind you, Netflix has a flipping gold, silver, platinum thing nowadays. Don't they? Yeah, yeah. HD and 4K, whatever it yeah. is. But just just sell one service. If you can niche down to one service, then everybody knows what they're doing. All your staff know as soon as someone phones in. They know what's covered because it's they have, everyone's got the same service. So I love doing that, though. In real world terms, it's difficult because everyone does have different requirements. Um, I think the key thing, really, um, or the, the questions that are asked a lot of the time, is how much do I bundle and yeah. how much do I put outside of that bundle? Um, and for me, it's it's a focus to try and bundle like the you must have heard of like minimum viable product. Like the minimum viable product for me is to have the basic package that. Everybody, everybody must have, because we all know businesses must have a certain level of like basic protection, like cyber, cyber security mainly. Everyone needs antivirus. Everyone needs like email protection, ransomware, probably some cyber security awareness training, like all these kind of basic level things. So apologies, and I said earlier I haven't read your book yet, Nigel. Probably should do after <laughs> the session today. <laughs> you don't need to. Now you sold the MSV. <laughs> my go-to is have that basic package in, and whoever comes to you. They must have that package or you can't yeah. work with them. You know, if they, if they don't care about having the basic level stuff, they're probably not a client that you want to work with anyway. So get them signed up to that. At least you know. And, and actually, it was quite a good um, 
sales pitch or you know introduction you can walk in and say well look this is our basic level of everybody who's taken this basic level product from us not one you know almost that construction site in the last 300 something days we've had no disasters you can do that if you have that good basic level of protection and say look you can come to us you pay what it's going to be 10 bucks 20 bucks 30 bucks a month for per, per user per month whatever it is for this basic level and it protects everything and you won't get fished or caught or obviously you can't guarantee it but at least you can give them the stats to show you know typically speaking you won't catch anything and then you have like the support offerings um i think it was i might, might be misquoting but it might be ernst murray on the um the forums who then treated the support separately and i absolutely love the way of doing that that's um so, jamie warner i was jamie yeah because you have the products in one thing because that's basically all the security packages is you're just selling products and probably making little to a bit of margin on the support side of things is where it differs to whether you have gold silver platinum support 24-hour support you know, opening hours whether you include strategic audits you know what what are you doing for that the slas you know all of that stuff comes into play of trying to deliver the value within the package and then there are certain things outside of that that i would always treat separately things that are bespoke you know for every client things like backup some people might have on-prem some people might be cloud some people might just have 365 and that's it so that's a bit of a bespoke to me uh, service that you'd, you'd resell uh things like the cloud voip because not everyone yet well i mean not everyone yet and pretty much everyone's on it but lots of people are tied into contracts at least here in the uk so it's not kind of something you can walk in and go well take our managed services and you'll get voip as well because chances are they'll be already a year or two years into like a three-year contract or something um, so i always have that separately so there are these things that would sit outside the arbor spoke that you just kind of bolt on to whichever package they've signed up for um that's kind of my go-to. And, and I guess the, the entry level, and that's kind of why you've got that basic package there as well, is the entry level is you take the basic service and just, I know it's not that kind of well thought of, but just pay and go. Like if people aren't comfortable to sign up to a, an immediate 50 or 100 bucks or pounds per user per month, get them in the basic service because you know they're protected. There should be you know fairly uh, minimum risk at that point because they've got the basic protection. And then they just pay you per hour for whatever you you know, whatever you do for them. And actually that works quite well because you've got all the basic protection. You're probably monitoring everything. So you actually end up doing the same service that you do for your managed customers. You just phone them beforehand and say, oh, this has been flagged up. Do you want us to look at it? They probably always say yes because they're not going to go, nah, ignore it. It's fine. They'll always say yes mm. and you get paid for it. So that's kind of my kind of entry foot in the door like level. Right. And then after two or three months, you can go, okay, cool. Let's look at things. You've you know, spent this much time. Let's look at getting you onto our managed services offerings. And I find that works quite well for trying to bridge that gap between walking in and going, it's going to be 1,500 pounds or dollars or two grand a month. Oh, but we're only spending like 20 a month at the moment. <laughs> you know, trying to bridge that gap between the the shock, the, the, the sticker price shock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how I would price it, I, I would say. Very good. I, I've seen on that note, the, the whole... Mo- entry-level monitoring and maintenance plan. I've seen some MSPs do that one really well. We didn't have that in our – or we did have it once in our business and then we stopped it. But I've seen some MSPs do it really well with their PSA and RMM tool where they linked the two together and they had it so that um, the their system generated all the alerts. But if for every alert that was generated, it sent the client an email saying, hey, this alert has been generated. This is the potential ramifications for it. Hit reply and say yes if you'd like us to triage it. And what that did on the back end is it then automated the ticket being popping up on the service desk for the support team to go and, and um, remediate on some sort of block hour basis or 
prepaid yeah. credit pack basis, which was kind of cool. But because what happened inevitably all the time was, can you guys stop these frigging emails from coming to me, telling me about all these things and just deal with it? And they go, yeah, well, yeah, of course we can on the, the, the gold plan or whatever it happens to be. So I've seen a few people get to that point. Um, as you say, though, Pete, um, and and this comes from like the world of Paul Dippel and service leadership and the maturity levels of MSPs, the operational maturity levels or the OMLs, is that in, in, inevitably and invariably you will get to the point where it just makes sense to just have one offering then because you've matured your, your technology stack, you've matured your back-end tools and processes, you've matured especially your sales process and your packaging and everything to the point where you've only got one plan and it just makes sense that, that everybody's got to be on that one plan. Now, that's typically not something that most smaller nimble or nimble MSPs, as we call them, can go out and do from day one, though. You've got to mature to that point. You've got to go through iterations and learnings and lessons and mistakes and whatever until you get to that point. It's very hard for an MSP to go out on day one, a brand new MSP or an MSP, someone tra- transitioning from break fix to MSP and, and roll out a, a brand spanking new all-in-one priced plan at one price point that is packaged well and profitable on the back end and um, and covers everything. It just it takes those lessons to learn to get to that point in time. And so that, um, that maturity level is very important for everybody to, to just stop and realize that you, you're, you're on some layer of maturity in your business and, and where you are right now, you, may, you, you might be hearing from people, ah, you're an idiot if you've only got one plan or you're an idiot if you've only got three plans or whatever it is. Most of the time, 99.9% of the time, the person that's saying that has no context to where you are in your journey and they're, they're, they're giving you bad information. And so you just got to take stock of where you are in your journey and figure out, is it is it making sense for me? Is it making sense for the clients that I'm dealing with right now? Is it making sense for my sales confidence right now? Is it making sense for the cybersecurity coverage that I'm getting into these plans right now and, and figure out what works for you? Um, There's a really good question from... Um Sam, uh, in the comments down below, of the um, I'm stuck on differentiating between plans. Maybe no support, remote only, and on site with 365 separates. Um, my thoughts around differentiating with it, it depends where your clients are, but I don't like having remote only support and on site support. For, for us, at least, it was we're, we were we were a very local MSP, and lots of the com- customers I'm working with are local MSPs, so their clients are within half an hour, an hour's worth of them. So I think at that stage, for me, it doesn't make sense to split off, oh, you've only got a remote-only contract, you're going to have to pay more to go have the on-site thing, just because it adds that kind of, it's that barrier of, oh, okay, I don't really want you to, you know, I don't want to pay you extra to fix the problem. Um, so I would just not have a remote-only option. I just go straight in and have, it's remote or on-site, we just make the decision as to whether it's going to be an on-site or not. You know, it needs to be down to us. And most of the time, actually, the only on-site stuff you need to do is something's physically blown up. <laughs> you can't You can't physically get to it. Um, interesting to see what your you, you guys' thoughts are on the remote only versus. Obviously, it depends if if your clients are further away. Then yes, that makes an option. Uh, it makes sense. But um, yeah, interesting to see what you think about Scott, the. What are you? Remote. How do you approach yeah. that at the moment? I, I was going to say we are we are almost exclusively remote only um, because everything we do is is remotely managed. Um, I guess what we do is in our in our packages. What we have is it's remote only support. We then have. Um, if you need us to come on site to do things, then there's an agreed hourly rate to come and do things. Um, and as you get into the kind of better package or, and, and best, then the, the rate for that gets reduced. And so you can say, actually, you know, if we're going to come out and do things, then. Um, but I can count on one hand the, number, the amount of times we've actually had to go out on site and do something. Um, and so, you know, it kind of works for the clients. It works for us because what we don't have is that 
commitment on us to say, hey, go and do something on site. Now, bear in mind, our situation is maybe different to others in that we don't do first, second line support. We outsource it to uptime. And so I don't want our consultant level guys. And and, and again, as a refresher for those who who maybe are new to to me in this conversation, I have a team of, of like, top level consultant guys that they're, they're, you know really really super brainy guys i don't want them doing end user break fix support so what i have is uptime solutions who does my kind of one two and three support so when we sell managed it services to customers it is remote only because we want to do all that through uptime i can get uptime to do on-site engineering they will charge me to do that and so i need to charge the client um, I can take my clever guys off their consultancy projects and send them on site if they're in a, a local area to us hearing leads. Um, or I can do it as, as the business owner. Shouldn't be doing any of those. Um, but so we've we've structured it so that it, it is remote only is, is the scene that we've set from the outset. And so that means that we have clients in Italy, in the US, in Australia, and Yes, I think we have two clients in Leeds, but also a lot around the UK and Scotland. Um, so we we are not a local MSP. And so, you know, it depends what kind of MSP you are. If you're a very locally focused and there's some great guys who do that, hey, you know, where your Leeds MSP or your Manchester MSP or your Brisbane MSP, pick somewhere over there. Um, then it makes sense for you to capitalize on that and include that kind of local touch and feel because every time that you get someone in that office to do something, they're going to see something and going to spot an opportunity and going to see a great way to Mm. show value to the customer, but also look for ways that we can work with them better and see what's really see what's happening at a ground level in their company and help and suggest and recommend. So I do think there's a great strength in, um, on-site support uh, and being on-site. Um, sorry, yeah, I, I'll come to Ian's question in a minute. So, yeah, um, I just think that's how we've positioned things. And so if we then have to go and do on-premise, there's an agreed rate to do that. So Ian's just asked the question, says, hey, what if a switch or router dies? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So generally what we will have done there is if we've supplied the switch or routers, which is a rarity for us, we're, we're only two years old, Ian, so the majority of things that we've done are um, cloud-based services, um, not really the traditional you know, MPLS networks or VoIP solutions, we have partnered for those. And so those contracts include the kind of maintenance and support for those guys to come and do that. So it's part of the resale of those services. So if we work with Gamma or Pure IP or whoever it is who's the supplier of that service that we've we essentially resold, the, the maintenance and the management and the on-site um, presence is covered by that contract, is not covered by us. Um, but yeah, I think I, I like Sam's point, which is to say, hey, you know, maybe we can differentiate between these packages by saying, hey, there's no support. I think no support is probably difficult because what are we selling if, if we're selling no support? If we're just selling product, we're making very little margin. So I think you've got to have some element of base support in there. It might be that you start with reactive support. And this is back to Nigel's point. Hey, it's reactive support. We're going to send you all the alerts and and you can see exactly what's happening. And I kind of like that because there's a bit of that that shows exactly what it takes to run the managed IT services. Because again, we can can struggle to show the value back to the customer because when it all works, they don't care. When things break, you absolutely need to be here and this is mega important. Um, And so when you get to an end of year renewal and nothing's happened because you guys have been awesome in the back end making sure everything works, they're like, 
what do you guys do again? Um, so actually part of that, like that unsupported, hey, here's all the things. Do you want us to fix it? We've got an hourly rate. I can see that. Um, but I, I quite like, even in our basic package, it's got some elements of support. It's reactive support. You, you know, we're not really overly monitoring everything. You have an issue. You raise a ticket. We'll absolutely help. Whether you take good, better, or best from us, the SLA is the same. Yeah. So Yeah, you know, that's an important point. You know, that one. A, a printer's broke, then this is the SLA for it. You need a new user, this is the SLA. Those, those are all kind of captured in that same SLA. So again, yeah. the support team aren't having to go, okay, this client... Is this one this hour? Package, is this four hours? Is this, this, this is the, yeah, this is the response time I should get them in. They're, they're all the same. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. The main difference really is when you get between better and best is that we flip from um, kind of Monday to Friday, seven till seven, we flip to 24 by seven. Yeah. So we don't yeah, yeah. offer 24 by seven because again, the majority of the clients that we speak to are, you know, office based or, you know, remote based, but office hours, um, you know, knowledge workers, data workers, that kind of thing. So they're saying, you know what, this sweet spot in the middle, this Goldilocks zone of, of better works really well for us. The customers that need 24 by seven understand, especially when they look at our packages, they go, okay, well, everything's in here, but I really need 24 by seven. Cool. You understand then why this, this extra package is here and it has 24 by seven, but also there's some other benefits in here because as you switch to those clients who really need 24 by seven, they probably have more stringent requirements around, you know, data security or monitoring. And so there are additional packages that you can bump into that best column, if you like. One of the um, the things that we, that, well, one of the most favorite plans that we had with our clients was the um, remote unlimited support. So the, the help desk was just unlimited business hours or unlimited 24-7 if they wanted that, but bundled yep. with a scheduled visit. And so those scheduled visits happened either weekly, um, bi-weekly, monthly, or quarterly, depending on the client. And, and we had a bunch of clients that absolutely loved that one because they knew that this was a day that, that the a Vision 3 guy would, and it was always an assigned tech per client as well, would be on site. They'd be doing the walk around. They'd go and check the servers for things that our monitoring didn't pick up or whatever. But then the rest of the time, when they, they were just doing an engineer walkabout to everybody, helping people get better at using their IT. And we had our PSA system set up so that it automatically sent an email out to all the clients' primary contacts saying, hey, just letting you know it's five days until so-and-so is turning up for your scheduled visit, make sure you get any of the, the quirky, weird questions. And we didn't mind that it was um, some of the, some of it was stuff that could come through the help desk and, it, and whatever. It's one of those, it, because it became one of those things where people just, no matter what you tried, they just had these problems or these issues that they just go, oh, it's just not important enough to call the help desk yet. But because James is here or because Luke's just walking past me, I'll just ask him quickly. And they loved that, just having someone there on site. And so that, that ended up becoming our most popular plans was the, the remote unlimited so that they could deal with anything remote all the time, but having those scheduled engineer walkthroughs and walkarounds. And, um, and the engineers were trained to, to sit down and explain to people how to get the best out of using the help desk so they didn't have to wait around to, to get those tickets. So they were continually training them to, to default the help desk first for faster support. But it, um, but it helped with that. But as you mentioned, Scott, as well, we, we, um, we used that and we used to sit with the engineers and come up with like themes for what we would be doing and things that we would be looking for to help people with. And, um, and some of it might be just going around and helping people do faster things inside windows. I remember for a period of time, we were just helping them get better at navigating windows, which is kind of very rudimentary and basic for us. But I remember having QBRs or TBRs with our clients and them saying, Oh man, my team just love it when Luke turns up and they're just learning all these awesome little things that are making their days faster. And for us, 
that was like it was just a, an engineer visit once a month or whatever it happened to be, and and we priced it into the agreement so that so that it was all completely priced in there and profitable, and it had such a big value to our clients, making sure that 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 kind of scheduled in place visit walk around happened in there. So if you if you don't have one of them in place, it's I, I hear a lot of MSPs go, oh, I I only go out on site if something is broken because everything else will happen remotely, and I think a lot of the time you might be missing out on opportunity to really dive deep into the relationship and really step over that chasm from just being reactive IT support to being proactive IT help and proactive IT engagement and enablement in there. And that's where where we were starting to step into in the last year or two in our MSP and starting to really, really dive deep into those relationships with clients in there. And so it's definitely something to consider out there for those of you that are trying to figure out how to tack in some sort of on-site stuff with your clients. And then we obviously had the the plan that was unlimited on-site and unlimited remote. And even on the unlimited ones, we still made sure that people had scheduled visits in there um, that were locked in. And we did we did similar in that we had um, if anything was out of scope we had what we called prepaid credit packs in there we didn't call them block hours um, and because the, a credit could be used for multiple different things it could be used for like one credit would equal one hour of business hours support uh, but if they wanted weekend support it would take up two credits per hour or if they wanted uh, emergency because they um, like we we had a couple of break fix clients left in the business when we sold it. And, um, and the reason we kept them on was because they were highly profitable for us. And the reason being is we'd like one case in case in, um, or one example was a, um, a Japanese food company that, that literally was 150 meters beside us in, in the office. They were about 60 staff or 70 staff, but they had this rule at their head office over in Japan that they would never sign contracts. They didn't sign copier contracts, phone contracts, MSP contracts or anything like that. And, um, and so we obviously wanted to sell them managed services, but their head office wouldn't let them. And even their local team, they wanted managed services, but the head office wouldn't let them. And so we, we had to sell them these, um, these block out, or we called them prepaid credit packs. And we'd sell them in, uh, they'd buy $15,000 chunks at a time, which was 100 hours and, uh, or 100 credits. And they would use them pretty regularly. Once every two months, I think we were renewing credit packs for these guys. But what we had it in there, because that was not a managed service agreement, it didn't include SLAs, it didn't include anything proactive, it didn't include anything because that was what we had on our managed service plans. This was just reactive support. And so if they needed emergency support, which they inevitably did quite often because we weren't able to do any um, maintenance in there, it w- the credit got used at a higher rate for emergency labor in there. And, um, and that meant that it still made it worth our while to go and, and add it into the mix. Um, I wouldn't, if I started an MSP today, I would only offer that if I had the chance to, to have clients like that or above. It's like running, running prepaid credit packs and whatever for tiny five-hour-a-month agreements and stuff like that is typically hard to do and so much overhead and management that goes on behind the scenes that you're just better off building a, a pretty cheap and easy, quick managed service agreement for those people. But, but, but so managed, this managed quite problem. nicely. Scott, you mentioned you don't do 24-7 support. Nigel, did you offer 24-7 support and how... Do you price that? We had one client that we had on it. Everything else, and now if, bear in mind, six years ago, I sold my MSP or five and a half years ago. If I had an MSP today, I would very likely have 24 by 7 support in there as one of our standard offerings. Back then, we didn't, um, except for one client. And the way we did it with that one client is we just came up with a price that covered that if they're going to have three or four after hours incidents each month, we're still going to be profitable on that thing. And it worked out well. Uh, but we typically just had an, an after hours rate for things and, a, and it was 500 bucks minimum if they wanted to work with us after hours. And, um, and we only had a few clients deal with it, but we had, we had a, one of Australia's largest hospitality groups and inevitably all of their um, problems happened after 5 p.m. at night. 
because they were open till 11, 12 o'clock at night with all their restaurants around the place. So, so we're used to, um, if I had an MSP today, it's so much easier to roll that out with companies like Uptime and, and whatever doing around the world support. Um, I would have been leveraging something like that to do it. Running it with our own team, it was a little bit hard because of the labor laws out here in Australia to go and manage the logistics behind the scene of having engineers on call or whatever it happens to be. So what, what did you do, Pete? Did you have 24 so, by 17? So me, or did you? I think there's, and this is one of the, the difficult things you go through because you get clients going, oh, I want 24-7. And maybe if you're a, you know, an ML MSP, then you don't feel you can afford to offer the level of 24-7 yeah. support. And there's always this kind of, I guess it's like the level where you're you're going between the the beer money twenty four seven offering and the formal we're going to pay people twenty four seven offering. Yeah, um, I, re- I remember many years ago. I think one of the um, the the twenty four seven offerings was basically I'm going to phone around my staff and find the sober one, and the sober <laughs> one will reply to you when they can do. <laughs> um, but the way I would do it nowadays um, is that. You have your so you got your your packages, and I think was it Scott mentioned earlier that as you sign up to the package, you then pay less in terms of like an hourly rate. So that's kind of a reason to sign up to a package in the first place. That's that's a great start. Um, what I like doing then on the twenty four seven is that for any clients, they can phone in. They pay a premium, you know, a, a two times, three times multiple on your hourly rate to phone in out of hours. And the way I structure that is, it would go to like a voicemail service. Mm. And you have an on-call engineer. The on-call engineer just has to check that when they can. It means it doesn't wake them up at night. It means it'll be, they'll check it in the morning when they wake up. They'll check it before they go to bed, that kind of thing. Um, however, you then have this contracted level. Uh, and the, the thing that started off for me was that we had a client that came to us and said, we need an, an SLA out 24-7 support. So we need something that's going to be there no matter what time. So we came up with this thing. And, and I, I think it works quite well. And I've, I've recommended it to quite a few people in that. Create this subscription, let's call it. So 24-7 is going to cost you £200 a month for a retainer for one client. That means you can then pay your engineers £100 a week to be on call. So then you mean that means you just need two clients signed up to this, and that pays for engineers, all the retainers. So that covers your costs on everything. So it's not costing you anything to deliver that. Then to those clients that are paying the retainer, they are then paying for the SLA, they're paying for slightly reduced out-of-hours rates rather than doing two or three times multiple. You do time and a half or double time instead. And when I say two or three times or time and a half and double, it will be, say, time and a half for, like, evenings. Just, you know, if it rolls past the 6 p.m. when you close and then that's time and a half. If it goes after midnight or goes on to the weekend at all, that's double time because that's, to me, that's more valuable time for me and and my staff. You know, I I don't want to interrupt their weekends and, like, make them wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. So they need to be paid a premium for that. Um, that's generally how I would do it. And I like, I think Nigel mentioned about having like a minimum of, of a, a, like an hour, a minimum billable period. So if they phone up out of hours, they're getting billed an hour because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what, what's going on. That engineer has got to take time out of their day. They've got to type up notes in the, in the uh, PSA system. They've got to kind of do some work. So even if it's a quick 15 minute fix, there is time involved. It takes, pulls them out of whatever they're doing. You know, sometimes I was sat in a cinema and I had a phone call. That's going to come out of the cinema you know, phone yep. them back or like respond, fix the issue, and go back and make it worth it. Film or whatever it is. Yeah. So it interrupts their day, and they need to be kind of compensated accordingly. So that, that's how I, I would do it nowadays. I wish we could do that out here in Australia, but it's illegal, unfortunately. Uh, really? We got our labour laws out here. If we if we want to have an engineer on call for outside of their normal forty hour a week work week, we're typically got to pay them twice 
their normal hourly rate or somewhere about twice their normal hourly rate per hour for every hour that they're on call. And so, um, and, and then it goes up even more. So even if they're sleeping and they're, but they've got this thing where they're going to have to answer a phone, we're going to pay them ridiculous amounts of money. Like if someone's on 70 grand a year and we're going to want them on call as well at the same time, it'll go up to like 200 grand a year um, to pay them out here. We, so what we did out here in Australia to, to kind of get around that a little bit was we, because we had some clients that, that did need that after our support on a, and they, they wanted an SLA around it. They actually wanted some sort of guaranteed response times. So we, we went to one of the medical paging agencies that, that answers like pages, doctors and stuff like that. And um, we set up a service with them where after at 5.31, our phone uh, switched across to an automated prompt that said, hey, if you need after our support that's chargeable, press one and we'll, we'll, we'll get you sorted out. And it sent it across to those guys and they took a phone call and then they paged down our, we had a, a roster then of everybody that was in the list and they just called every 60 seconds to everybody on the, the roster to, to find out who answered first. And whoever answered, they, they then had the choice. Do they want to take on the work or not? And we had the rule that um, for any work that they took on, they earn half of it and the company earns half of it. So if it's 500 bucks uh, that the company gets, we'll get 250, they get 250. But they don't have to answer their phone. There was no needing to be on call. No engineer was on call. And because typically within a 10-minute period, they would have called to everybody in the roster. They would have got someone because most techs wanted an extra 250 bucks most weekends to go on. <laughs> and spend on beer money or whatever it happened to be. Um, <laughs> twice, I think it ended up in the, the four or five years that we ran that system, twice it got to me who I was at the very, 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 very bottom of the queue. And I had to go and do some after hours work. But we had to do it like that because that meant that no engineer was ever then on, on call. They didn't have to answer their phone if they were in the cinema or whatever it happened to be. But if they did answer their phone, they knew that they were going to be incentivized and we we're going to be able to get paid for it. And, and that allowed us to know that, that we had some sort of support in place um, for our clients 24 by 7 in there and that worked okay for us for, for many 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 years um and, but that was because of our labor laws out here around being on hold are, are so oh, sorry on call are so 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 tight out here yeah we have um working time regulations is our i guess yeah, is our equivalent they're but they're not as strict yeah. as that so right. we, we can't we can't force people to work over i can't remember what the, the, the number of hours is but there's a certain number of hours you can't force people to work over yeah. Um, yeah, and in fact, that was. Um, they have to sign a, a a disclaimer to say that they can opt out. But I don't know if that went away with Brexit because that was an EU legislation. <laughs> I'll have to check I, I my HR person. I had, and, and that's actually one of the kickers that made me start my own business is that I was I'd done a full day's worth of work, and then I got called out um, one evening, and it was literally 10 p.m. This is my whole like power station story. I've got called out to a power station because they ran out of power. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, I was there till I think it was 6 a.m., 7 a.m. the next morning. Got everything back up and running again. Basically went to bed because obviously that's like pretty much 24 hours I've been awake. And then the first thing I had was, well, when are you come back in? It's like, after I've slept and recovered yeah, a little bit. Wednesday. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and I think I ended up going in on lunchtime or 1 o'clock or something like that because I, I felt a bit under pressure to come into work. But those kind of things, they, they, they shouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a question I've had a few times from people of like, well, what do I do? Is that going to interrupt a project if they're going to get called out you know, on call in the evening and they're not going to come in the next day? <clears throat> and the, the thing to remember there is how often people actually call in 24-7. And I guess this is about clarifying what the 24-7 service is because some people, 24-7 is you can just ask anything. You can call up, you can set up a new user, like everything's 24-7. Or it's 24-7 critical response yeah, only yeah, of yeah. like yeah. the service yeah. blown up or something's gone yeah. down. And I would say... That's what the 24-7 should be. You know, if unless they're a 24-7 business, which is very, very different, but if they're a traditional business that's like nine to five and the boss realizes the server's not working at 10 p.m. in the evening, 
that's critical kind of thing. So phone up, it's broken, it's blown up, come and fix it. That's the main thing I would focus on. Yeah. One of the things... I, I'd agree with that. I think... Go, go. Where are you guys, Scott? You go. I was going to say, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's, it's critical issues only, unless they're a 24 by 7 business. We have some slight variations to that in that, you know, we do have some 24 by 7 work because we have clients in the US and in Australia. So actually for them, working days is, is, is out of hours for us. Um, so we do have some things there, but the majority of, of the work that we do there is actually around um, servers rather than traditional end user IT support. So it's more server technology. And this comes back to something that Lee has made in, in the comments there, where he's saying, look, 24 by 7 doesn't fit with my values and what he wants for the team. I, I totally buy that as well. Um, it's, it's about what's good for the customers. And oftentimes, it's down to bad systems or just bad maintenance. And so I think you're absolutely right, Lee. If, you know, if we, and, and this is why it's worked well for us in the last two years, is we put a huge amount of effort in that onboarding proactive maintenance, getting things right, putting the right systems in place, having the right tools for the right job, all that kind of stuff. And that means that because we've done that and we've done that consistently, so our approach to, I don't know, setting up a 36510 is the same for every client. And it's it's in good shape every single time. That means that we get less issues coming through to the service team, less issues on the end users. And so the common questions that come through when I look at the tickets are, I forgot my password. The printer's not printing. It's all the usual stuff. It's not any of the mission critical things have exploded or this thing's completely broken because it, you know, it doesn't work. We've set everything up. Other than like pre-Christmas, we talked about that SharePoint OneDrive syncing issue, which we've all learned to lessen about. Um, other than that, it's about setting things up properly. Um, and yeah, 24 by 7, even in my previous roles, when I think about stuff outside of what we're doing, you know, here at Cloud Nexus and where I was previously, we would, we would absolutely have people on call. Um, and so we'd pay them, you know, a flat fee to be on call and then a percentage uh, or a multiplier for those out of hours call outs that happened. And so we ran like big data centers and cloud farms. And so they, they had to be available because if an issue happened with the private cloud platform, it affected hundreds of customers at the same time. So we had to have those guys on call. Um, but again, it was, you know, critical incidents only, you know, customer needs a new user setting up for tomorrow because he's got a new starter and he forgot about it. Well, no, that's not an out-of-hours issue. And B, when you look at our SLA, that's a 24-hour lead time. So Emergency if we want to be super friendly... <laughs> oh, my God, Dan Willis. Hello, Dan Willis. Definitely the bad old days. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like if, you know, if we want to be super friendly and go above and beyond, we might pick up on those... Um, new users, new printers, you know, new, new, new things that should have had a 24 hour SLA and do them faster. That's just good service. You know, the guys have got time in the diary will absolutely, you know, smash through that quicker. Um, but yeah, I just think it, it's got to be critical because again, it's all about people and, and, you know, that's always coming down to how I've worked with my teams, whether it's now as a small consultancy or back in the bad old days, as Dan says, when we're a big, large business, and we've got hundreds of people. It's about people. Uh, you have to have that mentality that says, you know, I don't care if you come in at, at nine o'clock or ten o'clock, and, and you know, but we get we get the work done and we focus on outcomes rather than clock watching. Because at some point, I'm going to ask you to come in at three in the morning and fix something, and it might be in the data center, it might be on a client site, and so you have to have that flexibility. And the same for the guy that's been working all night. You don't then turn around and go, um. It's 9.15, Pete. I've noticed that you're not in the office yet. 
yeah, man, I've, I've been up for 12 hours. Leave them alone. Distribute that work. Yeah. Get it moved out to the other techs. You know, give the guy some space. That should, that should never happen. Um, but I just think in, in modern MSP, you know, we have the great capability to have good setups, good tech, keep it simple, keep the packages simple, outsource. And so we use like phone answering services. We use uptime to keep that nice service to the customers, but take the burden off your guys. And so that you're not having to, you know, constantly overreact and distract people. Um, and I think there's so much support out there now that you can be really lean with it. And that's certainly the approach that we're trying to do, you know, over the last two years. And it works for the customers. Like Lee says, it's about what the customer needs. And oftentimes they think they need 24 by seven and that's cool. Put it in your best package, put it at a premium price, make sure that it's absolutely um, profitable. And so if they absolutely insist, there it is. It's, it's that Netflix, I need four screens, they're all 4K and cool. Well, that's £20 a month instead of £9.99. It's there, you can have it, but you shouldn't then be under pressure for every single customer to have that 24 by 7 experience. One of the things that, that, that MSPs, especially in the next couple of years, are going to have to be very cognizant on is, of is the impact of um, offering things like uh, 24 by 7 support and super fast response times in your SLAs, like 60 seconds or less. Uh, because as our industry is commoditizing like crazy and there's players that are coming in that are maturing even more and more and more, that 24 by 7 support and 60 second response times are both starting to become pretty strong differentiators in the sales process now. And so so lots of MSPs have to start figuring out, hey, if I'm not doing it at the moment, there's going to come a point where I'm going to start losing deals because I don't have those things in there. And we, we talk about most, like in our MSP as well, most of our clients were office-bound clients. So they were a nine to five or nine to six kind of thing. But Inevitably, inevitably, even more so nowadays, business owners, the CEO, the CFO, they're working six, seven, eight o'clock at night from home. When stuff hits the fan, they want that support in there. And being able to offer a 24 by 7 support coverage that doesn't cost any extra and is, is 60 second response times in there, which is a very compelling offer, can often be the thing that gets an MSP sales proposal over the line versus the competitor that's saying, hey, well, to, like, we've got a four-hour SLA on, on things here. And um, and if you want to call us at 6 p.m. at night, we've now got this, this after-hours charges here. And so you've got to be very cognizant on the impact that some of that stuff might have on the sales side of things over the next couple of years as well. And as you said, Scott, it's getting easier. Like gone are the days or when I was at my MSP, we didn't have all these amazing um, outsourced things to be able to leverage or they were kind of getting started, but their quality was not very good. But nowadays you've got all these services like Uptime and all of these ones. I know Uptime's getting a, a big, um, uh, we need some affiliate fees from him for, for this episode, but where they can offer that 24 by seven support really, really quickly for you that you can then go and offer there. And it's, it, it doesn't mean it's not putting any load on you and your team because their team is set up to go and do it because they've got that round the world coverage in there. And, and as long as you price the just, properly, you're making the same profit. Can I just ask you to clarify something? Because Lee's brought out a very good point, and I've seen it in quite a few places now with MSPs claiming they have a 60-second response time. And all that's really happening there is someone submits a ticket, the autoresponder comes back yeah, and says, that's, that's crap. Ticket, <laughs> that is crap. Yeah. If anyone's doing that, that is false advertising. Is, Simple as that. Unethical. Yeah. And they shouldn't be doing I've, it. I've seen the next level of that, Pete, as well, which is what they did was they put in a complete front row of 
customer service people who know nothing about technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their only job was to answer the phone and go, hi, name of solution provider here. Um, welcome to support. It. Let and me log it. And basically, they would just type the ticket into the ticket system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it went through the same old SLA. So Lee's yeah. absolutely right. 60 second response is not the same as getting it fixed. Yeah, and that's, that's the two um, things. Me, it's an actual there's, there's engineer working on the actual issue. Yeah. yeah, there's response versus resolution. And so most 99.999% of MSPs are going to be dealing with response, not resolution. Normally resolution is is thrown into SLAs in the hosting space or in the, the higher level, the mid-tier MSP space. But in the SMB space, it's very rarely used. And so you're normally going to be response. But typically, I, I hate it, like you said, Pete, where an MSP says, my response is um, when my receptionist answers the call or when my automatic ticketing system sends the thing out. That is just unethical behavior, simple as that. You're either going to be, and to me, response is defined as to when an engineer picks up that ticket to start to work on it. And that's that should be where response is defined for any MSP around the world or better. And so the MSPs that I see doing it well are the ones where an engineer, a level one engineer, mind you, but an engineer is a person picking up that call in 60 seconds or yeah. five minutes or whatever it happens to be. And that's the ones that are doing it properly. They're, they're 24 by seven because they've got round the world coverage and you get through to an engineer because you've got all this team of frontline engineers that answer the call in 60 seconds and start working on the task. If they've got to escalate, sure, they it might be a, a longer SLA to escalate to or whatever, but that 60 seconds is covered by someone that could potentially fix the issue not a, a front desk person or a bloody automated reply, which I think is horrendous when I see yeah. MSPs do that. Oh, yeah. There's a very good comment from Richard Tubb. Hi, Richard. I know you, you're probably struggling with the Richard, Wi-Fi today. But, um, I've heard of many this guy. They want 24-7, but when they see the cost, suddenly appreciate that most problems can wait until the morning. There's a there's a handy trick that lots of PSA systems have, which I found helps bridge that gap again between like the cost kind of thing. With like the on-call service, you can pretty much automate that if you have if you have a different engineer on call every week, for example... You can set that up within your PSA system to set the set like the on-call role. And then I'll email your clients to say, hey, my name's Rob. I'm your on-call engineer this week. Just reminding you, here are the out-of-hours rates. Right. Here are the out-of-hours times. Here's how to get hold of me. Yeah. So it just yeah. reminds them every single week that they've got the name, they've got the number, and there are the costs. That yeah. stops a lot of the issues and a lot of the problems of people phoning up and going, oh, I didn't, didn't realize it was chargeable. Or, oh, that sounds expensive because they've already been prepared at that point. So that could be quite a nice little, nice little uh, hack to get around that. Agreed. No, I think that's really cool. It's it, again, it's just constantly reminding them of this. This is the expectation of the service that we provide, that we mutually agreed on, and these are the things that fall outside of that. Because again, people just need reminders from time to time. They'll they'll hey, we pay you thousands of pounds a month. You know, you should answer the phone when I call. No, that's that's not the plan we have. We do have a plan that looks like that, but that's not what you have right now. So I think it's always in the friendliest possible way. It's nice to remind you. <laughs> it is. Um, I think actually I'm just looking at the comments and the feedback because this has been like a really interesting topic but the, the thing that we haven't talked about is what's in those stacks so I wonder if there's a follow-up session here that talks about the stacks and, and what's in the technology stack session that's another one of those those things where the, the entire answer is summed up in two words it depends <laughs> same with packaging <laughs> and pricing it depends <laughs> the whole lot depends but um, I think it's yeah, the Diving into tech stacks and um, and some of the inclusions and exclusions and how that how that ties into plans could be a great conversation. Uh, just to at least see all our perspectives, and that's not to say that all our perspectives are right, but as you <laughs> hear them, you will hear that um, you will just hear bits and pieces that you can go and put into your own your own thing that you might be missing. So, um, Kieran's just bought my book. I've just made twenty cents. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> ding ding ding! I'm going to spend it now. Thank you, Kieran. Enjoy. <laughs> 
Uh, we've got to start wrapping up because Scott, I know you've got a meeting in two minutes that you've got to head off to yeah. to go and close this this big deal where you. It sounded like we were talking off air beforehand, but you've got this deal which is um, a company that's got two different arms, both um, one in UK, one in Germany, and both have their own Office three six five tenants, and each tenant has got five hundred users in the tenant. And they've got to migrate from one to the other. And at the moment, they're fighting about who's, who's going to migrate into who. And so you're going to go and join that fight right now by the sounds of that, it. That's exactly what I'm doing in two minutes. Yeah, I'm going to go and, and start that fight. So we've got four hours today and four hours tomorrow. So it's, it's, it's really interesting. But uh, yeah. Well, we do have one last quick question here from Kieran. Let's knock it out. Would you ever adjust your pricing for multiple services? For example, $25 per user for IT services. How if you take connectivity and VoIP, it gets reduced to $22, for example. You... Kieran, my answer to that is, yeah, of course you can. Like bundling can obviously bring in price reductions as well as volume. Like you might say at, at 50 users, we reduce the price per user down. But what I will also say there is don't start that stuff to start off with. Start simpler and and then work once you've got your simple stuff running and plotting along and working well, then look to make some complexity around that that kind of pricing rules in there. Because I see too many MSPs, and I did it so many times where I did all of that, like where Scott was talking about, different levels of plans get you different after hours rates and whatever. I did all of that. Yeah. It became so nightmaringly complicated behind the scenes that I just reduced it all down to some simple offerings. Every single client was on one of those three offerings and that was it. Yeah. And so sure yeah, you can yeah. do it. Just be, do it when you've, you've got everything else running really finely well-tuned. And then, and if you feel that there's a need for it, often there's not a need to go and do it and unless you're, you're losing out on deals competitively. Yeah, I was going to say, don't for for Kieran. Yes, play with the price. You know, bundle and and you know discount if you're taking multiple services. Just don't start changing the SLAs and go. Oh well, they're no, on twenty two pounds and now now the SLAs change. Now there's four hours versus two. <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's it's a pricing discussion because you, you they've got multiple yeah. services. The product hasn't changed. That service category hasn't changed. So yeah, mm. definitely. Hey, Lee has just solved your problem, Scott. Uh, uh, start a new tenant. <laughs> Yeah, that, like I don't mind because we're, we're the ones who have to move everything. Yeah, so if we have to do two lots of moving everything, that's that's cool with us as well. I reckon um, you go and pitch that yeah. one and you, you you pay Lee the commission on the sale because I think that's the best strategy out of the lot that I've heard. <laughs> what, shall I take it home? It's got take it home. Spanish soon, isn't he? Yeah, thank you very in. much for joining. Thanks, Nigel. Thanks, Scott. Apologies for uh, Richard for not being able to join, but uh, you were very much missed this week. Um, don't forget to subscribe down below this video. Subscribe to the podcast on all your favorite platforms now, I believe. Apple, Stitcher, all of that kind of stuff. Google. And um, use the link down below. Join up for the Tech Tribe. It's 50% off for the first month, I think, using the link down below this video, right. hopefully if you're watching on YouTube. So check it out. It's the best investment you can make for your IT. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. And technically, Nigel, we're on season two of the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're up to version zero point or episode 0.9 or something now, I think. <laughs> season two episode 0.9 right so in, the, in that case we'll see you all next week i'm gonna click the button see thank you, you everybody for all your input in the chat i always love seeing the, the comments in there so uh thanks for that i'll catch all you guys and gals later on and i'm gonna click the end stream button